Okay, if you open up to uh, chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, <clears throat> this is going to be, I believe, <clears throat> part 18. In, uh, and the final part in our series on the end time prophecies. And uh, so hopefully uh, you'll revisit these as things occur uh, to see if we're moving uh, in, in that direction. Uh, but this is part 18. We'll be talking about a new heaven and new earth. We've got some handouts. <clears throat> I'm not really going to be sticking strictly to the handouts. And uh, uh, it, they, these come from my lecture notes on the book of Revelation. If enough people want a copy of my lecture notes, on my sermon notes on the book of Revelation, we can order a, a bunch of copies for everybody. But, you know, you just have to let me know about that. Um, also, as you turn into Revelation 21, uh, the, the men's Bible study will be 6.30 p.m. Uh, this Wednesday night at my house. So if you need the address or directions, uh, let me know after the service. And uh, we're getting a good bunch of guys that are coming and drinking a lot of coffee, eating a lot of cookies, and learning a little bit of Bible. So, um, but uh, And then when Tom Hoyle comes <clears throat> next week, It'll be the early service and then the evening service. I think it's the Super Bowl Sunday. So it's going to be real, you have to be really committed to come to the evening service. But I just want to uh, encourage you. Uh, he's got a lot of good information and stuff. Encourage you to come out. Uh, but I also want to encourage you to laugh at his jokes. Even if, even if you don't think they're funny, just laugh at his jokes. It makes him feel better. And. Um, and that'll be good. But uh, but my good friend, Dr. Tom Hoyle, will be here next Sunday. Okay, let's go to the Lord. Was that? Well, Monday night is just an elders meeting. So, yeah. Okay, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, uh, we just love you, Lord, and we just pray that you would heal those in the church and our families. And uh, that you would just strengthen our bodies to do your will. We pray that you take care of us spiritually, physically, and financially as days get really tough here in America. And we pray that um, uh, our leaders, you would give them your wisdom <clears throat> to recognize that they're to serve mankind, they're not to enslave mankind. But we love you, Lord, and we trust you, and we know everything can be taken away from us except for your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, but he is all we need. And so I just pray, Lord, that uh, during the trials of life, and even when days go well, uh, we would cling to your son, the Lord Jesus, and, and acknowledge that he alone is our hope and our salvation. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that as we go over um, these passages, that you would just give us a little glimpse um, of, uh, of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth, and that um, uh, you would cause us to just be so excited about it that it would bring joy to our lives, even in the midst of our sufferings here on this earth. And any time uh, we think of questioning your justice, just remind us, Lord, that um, this is an unjust world because of the fall but after this life another one begins and you will make things right 
And so we just love you, Lord. We long for your return. And um, we just I just pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man today <clears throat> and you would anoint me uh, to proclaim your truth with power and passion and that you would open hearts and minds to receive your truth. People that are here didn't come here to, to listen to the wisdom of man. They can, they can get that from CNN. But uh, they came to hear from your word, Lord. And so I pray you anoint me to proclaim your truth. You open hearts and minds to receive your truth and understand your truth. And you empower us to apply it to our lives. And uh, Lord, we know there's no such thing as a person who's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. The more heavenly minded we are, the more we acknowledge our spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places, um, the more useful will be to your kingdom here and now. And so I just pray, Lord, that uh, our focus would not be on the present trials, but the future glory that will be revealed to us when your son, the Lord Jesus, returns. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, so we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21 and a portion of Revelation chapter 22. And um, this is the, the new heavens and new earth. Um, this is what is going to occur after the tribulation period, after Jesus returns, after Jesus wins the battle of Armageddon and Satan is chained up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years and Jesus reigns on the earth then Satan is released <clears throat> leads one final revolt against Jesus and his kingdom Jesus defeats him throws him into the lake of fire forever and ever then there's the great white throne judgment you do not want to stand on the great white throne judgment in your own strength and your own righteousness you'll end up in a lake of fire forever and ever you have to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And not only did He take your sin and die for your sin, but His righteousness was credited to our account. Okay, you don't want to stand there in your own righteousness. It'll be measured against Jesus. And you'll come up short, believe me. And um, uh, But if you stand there in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus... If you trusted in him for salvation, uh, then uh, you'll be given entrance uh, into uh, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And so now we're going to be talking about that after the great white throne judgment. After the millennium, uh, what happens? And John talks about that in Revelation 21 and 22. So we'll start at verse 1. Um, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Uh, some copies read New Jersey. No, I'm only kidding. It's, it's new, new Jerusalem. Don't worry. Um, then, I, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he sat, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give you the fountain, give you of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. But he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, so let's look at those first eight verses. I'm just, we're just going to be, I mean, we've got so many passages to look at that we're just going to be giving a really quick uh, survey of this. There's so much to talk about. Books have been written about this. But we find out that the first heaven and earth pass away. Jesus told us in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know, he was promising us the New Testament, but he was saying the day would come when heaven and earth would pass away. And um, so the first heaven and earth passed away. And so there's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, is, does that mean that the old heaven and earth are going to be completely purified? So for all practical purposes, it's going to be new. It's like Herod's temple. We say that, you know, there was the second temple. First one was built by Solomon. Babylonians destroyed it, 586 B.C. Then we say, okay, Herod's temple. He started working on that before Jesus was born, and it got finished just a few years before it was destroyed in 70 A.D. But did Herod really build a new temple? No, he was actually renovating the temple that uh, went all the way back uh, to the time when King Cyrus allowed the Jews to return from Persia and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple and the walls. And um, so I don't know for sure. Is the heaven and earth going to be completely purified or uh, completely replaced? We do know in John 14, too. Hold this page here. Look at John 14, too. In fact, 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay? So Jesus said, look, I'm preparing a place for you. I assume there that the place he's preparing is the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven to earth. And, uh, you know, and, you know, many scholars will, will look at this and say it's all symbolic. All it's saying is heaven's going to be beautiful. 
Don't take any of this stuff literally, okay? Uh, but I have a problem with that. The book of Revelation is filled with, with symbolic language. We know that the, the uh, dragon is symbolic of Satan. Why? Because the book of Revelation tells us that. We know that the beast with seven heads and ten horns is symbolic of the end-time world government. Why? Because the book of Revelation tells us what the seven heads stand for and the ten horns stand for. And so if there's no indications in the text that it's symbolic language, and if it's not obviously symbolic, like John the Baptist saying, pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Nobody thought oh, that, that he, he was, Jesus was literally a lamb. Okay? So unless it's obvious or there's some kind of evidence in the text where the text is telling us it's symbolic, I see no reason why uh, to take it uh, symbolically. Okay? And so I actually take this uh, literally, that there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, whether it's heaven and earth completely purified or completely replaced. Now, by, by the way, I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to trust God on that. If he wants to totally destroy the old heaven and old earth, that's kind of like, wait a minute, I you know, live on earth. And, but it's, it's, it's okay. God can protect us through this transition. Okay? And there'll be no longer any sea. Um, there'll be the river uh, of life here. But the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and comes down, uh, we're told, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now we know when we study the scriptures that in Ephesians 5, the church, the uh, assembly of believers I believe the church started on the Feast of Pentecost, um, that we're the bride of Christ. But in the Old Testament, Israel was called the wife, and Yahweh, God, was the bridegroom. Um, and I don't think God has two wives. I just think that there's a church, uh, New Testament believers here on earth, but there's a larger assembly which is made up of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, Jew and Gentile, and uh, we are the Bride of Christ. And since the Bride of Christ is going to reside in the New Jerusalem, um, uh, John talks about this as if the, the Bride is coming out of her, her chambers and everybody stands to greet the Bride. Well, the Bride's coming down uh, out of heaven uh, to earth, okay? Um, and it says that God will dwell uh, with men. The tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is with men. You know, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, which is a portable temple. Then eventually Solomon built the, the stable, uh, the permanent temple. Of course, that was destroyed and all. Uh, Jesus referred to his own body as the temple. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about the temple of his body. Now our bodies are their temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no temple in Jerusalem. The dwelling place of God, the special dwelling place of God on earth is in the bodies of believers. And because believers gather, even the local gathering of believers in 1 Corinthians 6, I mean 1 Corinthians 3, the local gathering of believers 
is called the temple of God. So our church is a temple of God, a dwelling place of God, and our bodies, our individual bodies, are a dwelling place of God. But eventually, the new Jerusalem will be that uh, final dwelling place of God among man. Okay? And there'll be no more death or suffering. Um, he shall wipe away every tear, no longer any death, no mourning, crying, or pain. Those will have passed away. See, Jesus is the only real solution to the problem of evil. All the effects of sin will be overcome by Christ. By the way, if those words mean a lot to you now, I know there's a lot of people in pain. My wife is in pain with her, her back and stomach issues. And um, I've got, I'm wearing a back brace right now for my back. My throat has been really sore, and I don't really know why. Um, um, so we experience pain right now, but believe me, we're the most painless culture in the history of mankind, the United States of America. We have, you know, almost anything goes wrong with you and doctors can fix it now. And if they can't fix it, they can usually give you a medication that eases the pain. Now, in extreme cases, the pain persists. Um, but I'm telling you, if you think right now, just because you had a hard day at work or... Um, your spouse got mad at you or something that you go, oh, Lord, you know, I can't wait till there's no more mourning, crying, or pain. and and um, Or you're at the funeral of a loved one, no more death. Let me tell you, though, um, in the near future, you know, before we get back into Ephesians, I'm going to be preaching a message. We're going to take about three weeks on topical messages. And, uh, but I'm going to be preaching on a message trying to uh, help prepare us for the coming suffering, the coming persecution. Now, if God wants to prevent it from happening, that's his business, but it's going to have to be miraculous because we have been down this slippery slope. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah went there. Look what happened to them. Okay? The Jews went there, and that's, that's why they got whooped over and over again with, the, with Babylon and the Meds and the Persians and the Greeks. Um, so... Uh, judgment is coming, and so we need to, to talk about that. But um, where our focus has got to be, our focus has to be on Jesus and where he's going to take us. Amen. And you, you, we might be homeless. We might be on the run. And, you know, if these boys, uh, these powerful guys, these powerful billionaires and politicians, if they can figure out a way to track us, and believe me, they've come a long way in that. Just look at Bill Gates's uh, patent number zero six zero six zero six. He wants to track every human uh, being on the planet through through vaccines. And um, um, but hopefully we'll be able to run and flee if if some of this stuff comes down. But I'm telling you, um, we could be sleeping under a, a bridge someday. Okay. But our focus should not be on the fact that we're homeless. Um, our focus should be on the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and where he's going to take us. You know, our persecutors might be leading us off 
to imprisonment or execution someday. Okay? Um, and um, the corrections officer might look at, it, at you and say, why are you smiling? And you could tell him, because I'm thinking about my king and the place he's going to take me. Okay? So um, one of the big problems with American church is not that we don't like where we live. problem with American Christians, we like where we live too much. We've had it so good. Some of us will say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But wait till I'm 80. I'm having a good time right now, you know? And, um, um, but no, we got we to gotta say, hey, look, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. My American citizenship is, is not primary. My real citizenship is in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Now, you know, in this passage that we looked at in verse 8, there's not everybody's going to be in the, in the city. There's those that don't overcome. You know, when you look at 1 John, it talks about the one who overcomes is the one who believes uh, Jesus is the Son of God. So believers are overcomers, okay? It even talks about overcomers, us being overcomers in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the letters to the seven churches, um, uh, we know that uh, in John 16, in fact, hold this page and look at John 16, the last verse there, verse 33. Jesus said this, the night he was betrayed. Things were going to get pretty bad for the apostles. He had to prepare them for that. I, as your pastor, I have to try to prepare you for the tough times that are ahead. But here the Lord Jesus, the God-man, the Savior of mankind, the Jewish Messiah, he was preparing the apostles and he said to them, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the world is going to squash us and crush us and beat us up. But the fact of the matter is our king has overcome and because we trust in him, we become overcomers. Okay? So don't believe others when they're acting like, you know, where is your fairy tale God? Where's the sign of his coming? And you don't, you don't have to, you know, just find some jerk next door to talk trash to you. All you got to do is just watch, watch a little television, get on the internet. Man, you're either Christian or you're mocking Christians. There's almost no in-between. It's very interesting that there are some friends of Christians, uh, like traditional Jewish people, um, and um, sometimes even people in cults like, Mor like Mormonism. And um, we need to witness to those people. Because um, if you're trying to witness to somebody who's open to the gospel and kind to Christians, we're running out of people to witness to. You know, but God's going to call some of us to witness to people who aren't very open, which means you're going to get whooped on there. But, um, but verse 8 tells us there are some that don't overcome. Those who are cowardly, not willing to suffer for Jesus, unbelieving, they don't trust in Jesus. The abominable, their sin is disgusting to God. Murderers, 
directly or indirectly persecuted the church, immoral persons, sexually immoral, sorcerers, uh, pharmacosty, the use of drugs and magical potions, idolaters, worship false gods, liars, they refuse to acknowledge their sin. First John 1 John 1.8, anyone who doesn't acknowledge their sin and come to God for salvation is a liar. And so the second death is the eternal spiritual death, this eternal separation um, from God is the lake of fire and brimstone, the lake of fire and brimstone is sulfur, the final destiny of all who reject Jesus, the eternal wrath of God. They remain outside the New Jerusalem, okay? They can't get in. Um, look, we'll pick it up at verse 9 here in Revelation 21. Uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have to understand, the New Jerusalem is a Jewish and Gentile thing. It's an Old Testament saint, 12 tribes of Israel, as much as it is the 12 apostles and the church. Verse 15, And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it's like a uh, cube, okay? Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Isn't that nice that the... The angels take the same measurements that we take. Now, being American, I'm hoping it's in feet and yards and not in the metric system, or they're going to have to give me, I'm going to have to get some uh, training up there in heaven. And um, um, so if somebody asks you how much you bench, tell them, you know, say, ah, 200 or whatever. And then if he says, oh, yeah, well, I bench 205, and then, then what you could do is just tell them, Oh, you mean you mean pounds? I thought you were talking kilos. And then you can multiply your first lie by uh, two by two, um, uh, two point two. Okay, verse eighteen. The construction of its wall was like was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And then he he mentions he goes through them. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, 
the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and uh, the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. So it's kind of like, uh, sometimes you see those, those hatches in submarines or something, but, but it's, it's like a pearl that is the gate that opens and shuts, which is pretty, pretty interesting there. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory uh, and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So only believers have access, believers and angels have access into the New Jerusalem, uh, unfallen angels that is, um, uh, fallen angels and the unsaved cannot enter the holy city, yet its gates will be open. Okay, and so uh, we see here the descent of the new Jerusalem. John sees the, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You could look at some of the passages here. This is not, John is not talking about something new, something that was nowhere in the scriptures before. He's just expounding upon what's already there. So like the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, talk about the holy city. And you find other places. And Paul's letters were told that we're really citizens of heaven, of the new Jerusalem, of the heavenly Jerusalem. Now the description of the new Jerusalem, it has the glory of God, and it has a brilliance like a crystal clear jasper, kind of like a diamond. It has a great and high wall, okay, and um, um, and the twelve foundation stones of the wall have uh, each one has a name of the twelve apostles on each of them. Now the measurement of the city and its gates and wall it's fifteen hundred miles wide and fifteen hundred miles long. Now that's about half the size of the United States. So when I first read that, I actually got scared. I thought, I hope this is not literal because that's only half the size of America. Maybe there's a lot less believers than I thought. Okay? And, um, but we have to understand it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and also 1,500 miles high. Okay? So if you just have a floor every half mile, um, you got enough room for every human being who ever lived, let alone just the believers, okay? And um, so it's shaped like a cube. Well, the Holy of Holies, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20. 
The Holy of Holies, the same way, it's shaped like a cube. So this is the real Holy of Holies. The real place that uh, God's presence uh, will be. There's many different levels, so there's plenty of room. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high. And then the wall, I think it's saying that it's, it's 216 feet high. Some argue that maybe it's going to en enclose, surround the whole thing and that it's going to be 216 feet wide. Either way, I'll be happy when I get there. And, um, but the angelic measurements are being used, um, but they're the same as uh, human measurements. Uh, then the material... Um, of the wall it's made of, of jasper and uh, the city is like pure transparent gold you have these beautiful foundation stones by the way the colors of these stones the, the, it's the, the breastplate of the Levitic, Levitic, Levitical high priest Exodus 28 verses 15 to 21 the 12 gates are 12 huge pearls um, with the names of the 12 tribes on them. The street of the city is pure, transparent gold. This goes beyond imagination how beautiful it's going to be. And uh, there'll be no sun or moon in the New Jerusalem. God's glory will illuminate the city. And the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, is the city's lamp. He's the light of the world. And, um, and uh, access to the city, the glory and honor of the nations can enter the city, but nothing unclean enters the city. So it seems to me that the believers who reside in the New Jerusalem are also going to have access to outside. Since they can enter it, it sounds like they can exit it. So we might have the entire universe, whatever that looks like, with the new heavens and new earth. We And we're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. We're going to have our resurrection bodies. Jesus is like, okay, I want to be in the upper room. Boom, he's in the upper room. Okay? Um, so, um, but whatever the case, nothing unclean can enter the city. Um, no, uh, only believers in the city, those whose names are written in the Lamb's uh, book of life. Now, uh, you have the river of the water of life. that runs through the city and then you have the tree alive and again is this river symbolic or literal I don't see any reason why not to take it literally then you have the tree of life well is that symbolic or literal well the tree of life in the book of Genesis that was literal and um, and God blocked access to the tree of life because we sin and um but now here um, we have the tree of life showing up again and the river flows through the middle of the main street, that street of gold, and the tree of life is large enough to span the width of the river and the street. So you got this, this pure gold, clear street, you got the river of life through it, and the tree spans over it. So I don't know if there's going to be like a, a cut out portion that we go through. And you might think, well, that's got to be a really big tree. Hey, go to Northern California, man. What do they call them, the sequoias or whatever? Jeez, those are huge trees. I was kind of intimidated by looking at those things. 
And um, um, how, anybody know how old those trees are? Hundreds of years. Because I, I know at the Garden of Gethsemane, some of the trees are over 2,000 years old, and they were, they were there when Jesus was there. But we're, we're not going to find any trees billions of years old. And, uh, and um, so, uh, but whatever the case, uh, I, I'm a young Arthur. I take Genesis uh, 1 literally as well. But, but whatever the case, uh, this, this large tree, the tree of life, has 12 kinds of fruit, yields fruit every month, so it's not seasonal. And the, the leaves are for the healing of nations, for the, uh, for the healing of the Gentile nations and all. And the leaves promote the enjoyment of life, not the sickness of that time, because there will be no sicknesses. And so there's no longer um, any curse. Um, so we see, let, let's take a look at Revelation 22, 1 to 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clearest crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Uh, verse 6, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel uh, to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And then Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so the river of the water of life, the tree of life, no longer any curse. Believers shall see God's face. You know, First John chapter 3, verse 2. When we see him face to face, uh, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. God's name on our foreheads, it speaks of ownership and protection. You have the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, uh, there and, and we continue uh, to serve God. So you have no need for rest any longer, no longer any night, uh, no need for uh, no uh, natural or man-made light. God will bring light to His people, and believers will reign with God's federal eternity. Now, who are we going to reign over? First uh, Corinthians six one to three, Paul says we're going to judge the angels in the hereafter. So we might reign over the angels. I don't know if there's any sense where we reign over fallen man and fallen angels. The whole idea that Lucifer's going to rule in hell, that's not going to happen. Okay? That is not going to happen. He's going to get the lowest place in, uh, in the lake of fire. But let me just say something. Um, I'm not real good, like, with an imagination. You know, with imagining things and stuff. And... Uh, and so it's hard to figure out uh, what exactly this new Jerusalem is going to look like. But um, but when I used to speak at this conference in Redmond, uh, annual conference before the COVID-19 thing, they would often put the speakers and their families up 
in this nice hotel. And Kathy, you probably can remember the hotel I'm talking about. It's got a big main area, but you can look up and see these like plexiglass, you know, balconies, but there's like plexiglass railings. Uh, but you could just see up and up and up, okay? Um, when, um, and it's just beautiful, but you can see all these floors upon floors upon floors. Um, when the, the, the Moors it, it invited us to, I, to ask me to do the prayer for um, uh, the wedding of one of their sons, but they actually graciously paid for my wife and I to go on a Mediterranean cruise with them because the wedding was in Spain. So we went to Spain, to France, to Italy. Beautiful cruise. But, you know, the only place I could find there where I can get an ice cream cone whenever I wanted it um, was on this lower floor. And you get in there and the kids are all playing. And then, and you could see, down at the end, you could see the Mediterranean Sea. They had like an open part to it, kind of like the ferries, you know. Um, but you could look straight up and see. I don't... I don't know if you could see all 16 or 17 floors, but it was just like you were just encased in all this this beauty, and you could just look up floor upon floor upon floor. And, you know, not being a rich guy, being on a cruise like that, that's about the closest thing I could see on planet Earth that, that would even make me think of the New Jerusalem. Uh, but it's just a tremendous thing of beauty. Then on about the fourth floor, there was a coffee shop. And I used to go there, and you could see above there as well. Um, but whatever the case, how God's going to set that up, that's his business, not, not mine. For all I know, he's going to be sitting enthroned on the middle floor where the glory, the light emanates both top to bottom. So no matter where you are, you can look up. But, um, but it's going to be a beautiful thing to be in God's presence, so different from what we go through uh, nowadays. Now, look at uh, Revelation 22, um, verse 7, Jesus is saying he's coming quickly. Um, look at verses 12 to 15, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Now, keep in mind, if you don't trust in Jesus, when you receive what you've earned for your works, it's, it's called the lake of fire. When you're a believer, you get heaven as a free gift, okay? But then there's different levels of rewards based on the God-initiated and God-empowered works that you did. And, um, and so there'll be different levels of rewards and all. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You know, those are titles of God, so Jesus is clearly saying that he is God. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. We lost that right when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And may enter through the gates of the, into the city, the New Jerusalem, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Okay, um, 
let me just say this a little bit. I, I've actually debated there are there's a growing number of evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, who no longer believe hell will be eternal conscious torment. I have a friend who holds that view, a very brilliant guy, Chris Date, and I had debated him on the issue. You can watch it online. Um, but when Jesus is giving us these invitations here in the book of Revelation and throughout the Bible, I mean the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Okay, invitations throughout the scriptures to turn to Jesus. Verse 17 here in chapter 22, and the spirit the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. But God calls you to accept it. But I want to just remind you a little bit about the bad news. Here you got the new Jerusalem. And God's word says that there are these Sinful people who never turn to Jesus for salvation. Their names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they are outside the city, and they can't get in. And the only joy in the new heavens and new earth will be in the city. Now, we might have access to travel around, but if you can't get into the city and can't get to the tree of life and the, the uh, river or the water of life, there is no joy um, if God, if the Bible teaches that hell is annihilation of the wicked, extinction where they no longer exist, then I don't know why here in the book of Revelation we see people suffering outside the gates. Okay? Why, if hell is not eternal conscious torment, why does Jesus say in Matthew 18, 8, that those who are, uh, do not turn him for salvation will be cast into eternal fire. You know, if I was going to be cast into fire, I could care less how long the fire burns if I'm going to die. If I'm going to die in five minutes, that's the bad news for me. Not that the fire is eternal. Why would he say cast into eternal fire unless we're going to be burning eternally? Why does Jesus define hell describe hell as weeping and gnashing of teeth in many places, including Matthew 13, 42, because it's a place of conscious torment. Why does he describe it as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched in Matthew 9, 47 to 48? Why does Jesus in Matthew 25, 46 call it a place of eternal punishment? If you just get annihilated, it's just temporary punishment, and then you cease to exist. Why did Jesus say in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, that some will receive many lashes, others few lashes in hell? So there's a different degree of punishment in hell uh, versus a different degree of rewards in heaven. But there, there's conscious punishment. Paul calls uh, the lake of fire in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9, eternal separation from God. Not eternal extinction. Here in the book of Revelation, uh, by the way, those who deny 
that hell is eternal conscious torment, they really whitewash over the book of Revelation. Because in Revelation 14, 9 to 11, those who receive the mark of the beast and worship the Antichrist, uh, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Now, Chris Day, during the debate, says, well, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, but they just cease to exist. Well, if they cease to exist, why does it say they have no rest day and night? If you cease to exist, you have eternal rest. You just don't, it, there's no you anymore. But no rest day and night. Um, the Antichrist and the false prophet, um, and then a thousand years later, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire alive. A thousand years later, Satan gets tossed into the lake of fire after the millennium. Revelation 20, verse 10 says that they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if we're going to take the book of Revelation seriously in any sense of the word, the Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Eternal conscious torment. Yet, all those whose names are not listed in the Lamb's Book of Life get tossed into the same lake of fire, Revelation 20.15. I find it hard to believe that everybody else who gets thrown into the lake of fire ceases to exist, except for the Antichrist, um, false prophet, and Satan. And, um, and then here we see in Revelation 22.15, you're outside the New Jerusalem, outside the holy city. Let me tell you something, hell is real. And it is eternal conscious torment. God gives us a glimpse, just a little glimpse of the beauty of the new Jerusalem of heaven. And so throughout all the old, throughout all the, the uh, end time prophecies, okay, that we read, um, we've got to remember like in verse 20, Revelation 22, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Our response should be, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. But what I'm getting at is as we study the end time prophecies, our focus ought to be on the fact that we need Jesus to be saved. We need to trust in Jesus for salvation and then we need to, to serve him um, as believers. Um, look at Matthew 7, just a few more passages here. Matthew 7, closing up our study on the end times. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Don't, don't do something just because everybody else is doing it. Ask, is this from God? Does God want me to do this? Okay? Don't just follow the crowd. If you're going to follow the crowd, you're going to follow them to a place called hell. Okay? So Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the wide, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? 
destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, what is that narrow gate? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The way to heaven is so narrow, it's through one man who also happens to be fully God. God the Son become a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the end, you know, if from studying about the end times, you think, whoa, I need to store food. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Now, you might have to flee from your house and you won't be able to bring your food with you. But then again, there's some scenarios where you could stay in your house and eat food. And you're probably going to need firearms because your starving neighbors might want to kill you if you don't have enough food for them. But, you know, storing food is good. Getting survivalist type things, that's good. But that's not the main reason why I preach this series. The main reason why I did is, you know, prepare yourself spiritually. Or allow God to prepare you spiritually. To be willing to not only live for Jesus, but to die for Jesus. Okay? And then number two, just to remember, this, this, this world, this, this, this country, this is not, this is not our, our residence. Our, we're just passing through. And our real kingdom our real city, our real citizenship is in heaven uh, with Jesus. Uh, open up to Titus. This will be the... I've got a few verses I'm going to quote, and then this will be the last verse that we actually read today. But Paul's letter to Titus. And we'll be at chapter 2 there, but... Um, you know, the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 10 says, uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. So if you don't get anything out of these 18-part end-time prophecy series, please understand this, okay? It's showing that this world is temporary, and anything that, will be, that can be shaken will be shaken. The only thing that cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God. Um... You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. We're all sinners. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. 3.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God created us to glorify him, to reflect his glory at this level, and we all fall short of that. We might think we're hot stuff. We got politicians and billionaires, they think they're hot stuff. They're not glorifying God to the level they're supposed to be. Okay? So we fall short of the glory of God. Um, now Jesus fully glorified God to the extent he was supposed to when he walked the earth. And we are going to be conformed into his image, if you're a believer, so that when we're glorified, you know, that's why Paul could say in Romans 8.18, our present sufferings are nothing when compared to the future glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus returns. And uh, so we will glorify God at the level that God intended for us to do. But right now, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, 
Romans 6.23, you want what you deserve? For the wages of sin is death. Both physical death and spiritual death. You want what you earned? It's called death. Okay? And uh, God is going to resurrect both believers and non-believers for the great white throne judgment. The believers' bodies will be suited. Um, You know, we'll we'll get raised when Jesus is returning. Um, But our bodies will be suited for eternal life. Eternal talks about how long it's going to last. Life talks about the quality. But eternal death, eternal talks about how long it's going to last. That talks about the lack of quality. So you're either going to be eternally, you're either going to have a body, a glorified body suited for eternal living with God and fellowship with the triune God, or you're going to have a resurrection body suited for eternal dying. Okay? Uh, So it's not like being burnt to death. It's like eternally burning, eternally dying, horrible conscious um, pain. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. We have to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, took our punishment for us, the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice the God-man dying on the cross for our sins. We have to acknowledge that he bodily rose from the dead to conquer death for us. We have to look forward to his return and trust in the Lord Jesus alone um, for salvation. And um, um, and then we'll close with Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God, that's God's unmerited favor. He gives us the salvation we don't deserve. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness. Now, this is, this is spoken to us who are believers. Not only do, should you look at the end time prophecy and say, wow, I need to, uh, I need to, I need to find Jesus real quick. I need to trust in Jesus for salvation. But once you trust in him for salvation uh, and you come to him, then it says teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Are you denying ungodliness and worldly lust? We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the the thing we should desire more than anything is the return of Christ and that will enable us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives pleasing to the Lord. But we look for the blessed hope. The hope of the church is not the UN. The hope of the church is not the World Economic Forum. It's not the World Health Organization. You know, President Biden, what are you doing? Putting us back in the World Health Organization? With all those tyrants and godless guys out there that have stabbed us in the back and kissed the feet of the Chinese communist government 
the United Nations and the World Economic Forum wanting to do this great reset. Our hope is not in you. United, the United Nations, the Secretary General is, is a Portuguese guy. I'm, I'm half Portuguese. You think that would make me happy? No. He's a socialist. He's a pro-China socialist. Um, my hope's not in the UN. My hope is not in the wisdom of man. I don't look to the UN for peace. My hope is not in my own righteousness. My own righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. My hope is in a manger. My hope is on a wooden cross. My hope is in an empty tomb. My hope is in the clouds. When my king and your king, the king of kings and lord of lords, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, when he returns to take his stand upon the earth, that is our hope. That is the hope of the church. I don't put my hope in other men. Now I'm telling you, you might be thinking, yeah, I'm with you, brother. I'm, I ain't putting no hope in Joe Biden. Okay? Well, fine, but the fact of the matter is even Donald Trump. Good man, kind of obnoxious. Gets under your skin, but at least he went to bat for us. Last president, I think, that went to bat for us before him was Ronald Reagan. But my hope's not in Donald Trump. Yeah, I felt bad when he lost the re-election. I think it was stolen myself. I guess that makes me uh, a bad boy in the eyes of our uh, National Guard protected politicians who want to defund the police so they can't protect us. But when everything's said and done, my hope's not in Donald Trump. My hope's in the Lord. God can do good things through Donald Trump. God could do good things even through Joe Biden. Let's pray that he does. Because it's going to hurt us a lot. If he doesn't. But um, but our hope is not in man. Our hope, the blessed hope of the church is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If your hope is anywhere else, it's a misplaced hope. Right. Okay? And then it talks about Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Not, not just redeem us from hell. Okay, not just redeem us from punishment, but that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Okay? God wants to purify us. So if you're if you don't try if you came in here and you weren't trusting in Jesus for salvation, you better you better wake up and smell the coffee. Okay? It's, it's time to have your come to Jesus moment. Amen. But those of us who are sitting down real comfortable and say, well, don't worry, Pastor Phil. You know, I'm going on 40 years with my Jesus moment. I had my Jesus moment 40 years ago. So I'm real comfortable. Let me tell you, even if you're saved, the book of Revelation ought to rock your world. Okay? God, Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you comfortable. He didn't die on the cross to make me comfortable. 
So if there's some night I got to sleep in an alleyway because I'm fleeing from the authorities because they outlawed Christianity. If I look up to heaven and say, why, why me, God, why me? It's like, look, God didn't promise us a rose garden. He didn't promise us comfort. Jesus didn't die on a cross to call you and me to a picnic. He saved us and called us to a war, a spiritual war. And so we serve Jesus and we spend devotional time in his word and in prayer and we allow the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts. Um, we not only, we got, we got, the first thing we got to do, we got to live for Jesus. Okay? Don't tell me, it's like the book of James. Don't tell me you're a believer. Show me you're a believer. Act like a believer is supposed to act. Do you love God with your whole heart? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Okay? Um, live, live for Jesus. Build, not yourself, build his kingdom, not your own, and glorify him, not yourself. Um, if we don't, if we can't live for Jesus when days are good, what makes us think we're going to be willing to die for him when things get bad? And mark my words, unless God intervenes, things are going to get really bad really quick. Okay? And, um, and so we need to just cling to Jesus, trust in him. And um, if you're battered and beaten and we're sharing a prison cell... Um, don't tell me that you don't have any hope. And if I tell you we don't have any hope, you can slap me across the face because that's a falsehood. Okay? They can't take Jesus from us. And Jesus is our hope. And the day will come when he will take his stand upon the earth and make things right. Until then... We need to live for Jesus and build his kingdom. Okay? And when suffering comes, we need to be willing to die for him. Suffer and die for him. And um, so when everything's said and done, the end time prophecies should, should draw you closer to Jesus. To be grateful for the blessings he's given us, even the temporal blessings here, but realize those temporal blessings are going to be gone someday. But the day will come when Jesus will take his stand upon the earth and then a thousand years after that, we're going to be able to look up to heaven and say, there it is. It's the new Jerusalem coming from heaven down to earth for man. And if we have entrance into the holy city, that right was won for us by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. May he get all the glory in the church. Right now, Jesus should get all the glory in the church when he takes a stand upon the earth. He's going to get all the glory in the whole world. They're not going to have any choice. They're going to have to bow before him, even against their wills. But um, So what should we say to all this, the end time prophecies? Come, Lord Jesus, come. It was the rallying cry of the early church, Maranatha. Come, Lord, come. And... Um, each and every day we should wake up hoping for the return of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus'
Thank you.